0: First Timothy chapter 1, and I want to read some uh, of the verses here from verse 12. Paul's writing to, to Timothy. I'm very conscious that our youth fellowship have taken part in our meeting tonight. And when I read the books of Timothy, I always remember that Timothy's a young man. He's a young pastor at this stage. But he's a young man who was saved under Paul's ministry. And just so that you get a grasp of that before I read the Scriptures. For example, 1 Timothy 4, you can see it, verse 12. Paul says, Let no man despise thy youth. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, and spirit, and faith, in purity. Second Timothy chapter three verse fifteen, and that from a child, thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And you'll notice that there's references there to his youth, to his, even to his childhood. And it's good for young people to remember that, adults as well that Timothy was a younger man. And he's writing Paul that is an old man now to his young son in the faith spiritually. He says in verse 12 of chapter 1, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe in him to life everlasting. Now, unto the keen eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And amen, we'll just end there at the verse 17, knowing the Lord will add his own blessing upon the reading. Let's just unite our hearts together. I want to just title the message tonight, The Truest Story. Let's just seek the Lord. Father in heaven, we do, Lord, return thee thanks for our young people. We bless the Lord for a congregation that is a good group of youth. And, O oh God, for enabling them even to take part tonight in song and the talents and the musical instruments and leading and, and Lord, reading the Scriptures. And we praise the Lord for our young people that gather every Friday night and for youth leaders and we pray, Lord, that thou might bless them and thou might use them. Eve as an instrument in thine hand. We do remember, Lord, those who need a touch tonight, those maybe not here, those that are confined to their homes this evening, not able to meet in the house of God. We pray that thou would bless them. We recognize, Lord, this time of the year is not a happy time for everyone. There's a sorrow. There's a sadness over empty chairs. We pray for those that have been bereaved even in past days in own, connected with their own congregation. And I might, Lord, prove to be that God of all comfort unto them. We ask that I might bless us as we just come to this little text of Scripture. Give us understanding. Give us help of the Holy Spirit. Speak, Lord, I pray. Especially to any that's outside of Christ. We pray, Lord, it might be a meeting of God's salvation. I pray that would fill us with thy spirit and with power. For I ask these things in our Saviour's name. Amen. How many are the fantasies that are told and indeed are performed, especially at this time of the year? There are countless numbers of parents who entertain the children by taking them to the theater or some other place in order that they may dwell in the world of make-believe for a time. Mind you, what is performed by many with regard to the Christmas story isn't too far removed from being described in a similar manner. For much of what is told is of man's imagination. We touched a little upon that this morning, even speaking to the boys and girls, because it is no foundation in the Word of God. But young people, men and women tonight, what the Apostle Paul was writing to encourage Timothy, his young son in the faith, with was that he knew that he would need all the strength, all the encouragement, all the help and guidance that he could offer as he sought to preach the gospel of saving grace. And to that end, he wasn't going to deal merely in telling stories of make-believe. What would encourage him when he would be faced with the problems? What would encourage him when seemingly the unrelenting opposition was very real? It would be the story of the power of God in Paul's own life and in his own conversion. It was a story so remarkable that scarcely people would believe it to be true. You remember how Ananias was commissioned by the Lord to go and see Saul on that straight road in Damascus. And Ananias didn't want to go. Ananias had heard of the evil that Saul of Tarsus had uh, did against, done against the people of God, and he needed to be convinced that he was genuinely converted. You know, the same was the case with the church of Jerusalem. For when Paul went there and seeking to join himself unto them, the church of Jerusalem, they were certainly those who weren't persuaded either. And they needed that persuasion. And they needed that befriending of Barnabas in order to show them that he truly was a changed man. No longer was he a persecutor. Now he was a preacher. Only the grace and the power of God could do that in the life of this man or any man. And if the Lord could do that for him, then he could cause Timothy to see other hard cases born again of God's Spirit. And God can triumph still in the lives of men and women through the power of his gospel. For men and women, I want to bring you to the truest story tonight. As it is found in verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. see the wonder? The one whom Paul preached uplifted before others was the Lord Jesus Christ, and is the Savior whom he mentions in this very same text of Scripture. The wonder of which he speaks about concerns the Christ of God. But you'll notice what titles he uses to speak of the one who stopped him on that road to Damascus and was to save him from his guilt and from his sin. It was Christ Jesus. The name of Jesus was to be given to the child that was born in Bethlehem's manger. Joseph, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It means Saviour. And yet it was a name which was in common usage in those days. But the wonder of it all is that this was the Savior anointed of the Father. For that indeed is what the title Christ indeed means. This was the promised Messiah that the Old Testament prophets had spoken about and had promised would come. This was the Holy and the Heavenly One whose voice all heard on that road, who was to apprehend him even amidst his sin. For in those two names, there's the bringing together of his humanity and his divinity. For this was the blessed God-man, The one who was revealed as the chosen of God to be the Redeemer and the only Savior of the world. For an eternity past, it was decreed that Christ Jesus would be the Redeemer, that he would stand in the gap of man's sin as the only mediator between a holy God and a sinful people, the man Christ Jesus. And Paul and we through him are considering the only begotten of the Father, the one in whom there is no equal. But you know, the wonder of this text is seen in the fact that he came. Christ Jesus came. That is what Paul speaks of here. And therein is found his condescension. That the Christ of God was to leave the realms of glory behind that he had with the Father. And he was to come down to this world. He came having been promised by the patriarchs and by the prophets of old. They were those who saw the promise, who believed the promise, who indeed embraced the promise, who died in faith, believing that the Redeemer one day should come. You turn back to John chapter 8, for example, you see what the Savior was to say about Abram. John chapter 8 verse 56, it says there, Your father, he's speaking to the Jews of course, he says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. He knew of Christ. He believed that day would come when Christ would come to this world. He rejoiced in it. Young people, be careful adults as well. Be careful of any who will try and tell you the Old Testament prophets knew nothing of Christ. That's nonsense. Abraham, Saw his day, he believed it, he rejoiced in it. That's the language, of course, of Hebrews uh, chapter 11. And and the words of verse 13, a great chapter of faith concerning Abraham, it says, as a summary after that, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And so they saw afar off the day in which Christ would come. They rejoiced in it. He came after he was foreshadowed by all the Old Testament sacrifices and offerings and types and symbols that were obvious in the time of Moses and in the days that followed. He came, of course, when the fullness of time was come. fullness of time was come. God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, those who could not help themselves. Christ came. Oh, the wonder of it all! that the Christ of God should take upon Himself a body prepared for Him. And that in obedience to the Father's will, He should leave the glories of heaven behind and exchange it for to come down to this world. You see, if you look closer at my text tonight, there's a wonder. It's the wonder not only that He came, but it's the wonder of where He came to. For Paul could say, Christ Jesus came into the world. And the world to which Christ came was nothing but corruption. The world which was made by the great Creator and perfection, but yet the world that has been cursed because of sin. The world in which the Bible states of its inhabitants. There's none righteous, no not one and in which we are reminded that the wickedness of man is great, and the every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The world of which the Scriptures state are no friend of God, and to be in friendship with the world is to be in entity with God. Christ came to a world not prepared to greet him or honor him. He came not to a world which was prepared to receive him, Indeed, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. But he came to a world of rebels, a world of sinners, a world which was fallen, guilty, and perishing, and which was going to ruin. A world of corruption from one end to the other. That's the world to which Christ came. The Christ of God. The one in whom there was no sin and could not sin. For he was equal with God. And yet the wonder of it all, that Christ came to such a place of corruption, is it not a marvelous wonder to you that Christ Jesus should come even to this world? That he, the Son of God, should take upon himself the form of man, that he should become the servant of men, for he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. That he, the Christ of God, should become bone of our bone and flesh, of our flesh. Is that not a wonder to you? What think ye of Christ this evening? But not only do you see the wonder, but you'll see also the work. That the Christ of God, and of course he holds the offices of prophet, priest, and king that no other held, that he should come to this world, then there must have been a good reason for doing so. When God became incarnate, there must have been some great end to accomplish that He should leave the glory of heaven behind that He had with the Father to come to this earth. And in this truest story, Paul relates that. He goes on to state the work that the Savior came to do. We're brought to consider the purpose of the Savior. It was to save. Christ Jesus came into this world to save. It's just a simple message, men and woman. But so is the gospel. Came to save. He came that he might purchase salvation. In the words of Luke 19 and verse 10, the Savior himself says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Can you just imagine? It might be hard to do it, but can you imagine that day when the angels of heaven were told that Christ should leave heaven So in order that he might inhabit a womb. You just stop and think of that. The very one who created this world, the one of whom we read in the Old Testament that the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. Yet he was to confine himself into the womb of a virgin. And to be born in a lowly manger. And he did so because he had a saving work to carry out and to finish. And his work meant living a righteous life. Dying an atoning death. His work meant perfect obedience. There was no part of Christ that went against the Father's will. You know why sometimes young people are given a task to do. by Mother and Father. And they'll do it. But there's a reluctance. If I could get out of this, I'll be away. And that's, that's, that's the will. That, that they're holding back. But listen, men and women, Christ's obedience was perfect. There was no holding back. There was no reluctance to go to the cross of Calvary or to come down to this world that he might go to Calvary. His obedience was a perfect obedience. He yielded himself completely, entirely to the will of the Father. His work meant taking on the forces of the devil and hell itself. For his purpose in coming was noted by John in his epistle. 1 John 3 and he it says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And even at his birth there were the signs of what this work would be. For we read that they wrapped him in swaddling bands. And the swaddling bands were used to wrap a corpse after death. For burial. The words spoken to Mary by old Simeon in the temple, Luke 2, were poignant. They prophesied of the work that he came to do. It says there, Verse 34, let me read it. And Simeon blessed him and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Verse 35 says this, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. A sword was going to pierce Christ. But a sword would pierce Mary's heart as she saw that child, that special child she brought into the world. One day, hanging on that middle cross, I want to tell you in the most plainest of terms something which ought never to be lost sight of, whether it's at Christmas time or any other time of the year for that matter. Christ Jesus came into the world to save. He didn't come into the world to set a good example. He didn't come into the world merely to speak some words of wisdom or philosophy for the Gentile nations to get excited about. He came to save. Praise His name. you notice the objects of this saving work, the people that can know His salvation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's a term which is all-embracing. And Paul is in fact saying to Timothy, don't forget why Christ came. Don't forget the Christ that you're preaching to those people about. It was to save sinners. It was to save the persecutor of his people. It was to save them that are foul-mouthed. It is to save those that are blasphemers of God's lovely name. It's to save the disobedient and the lawless soul. It's to save the murderer and the liar. It's to save the church goer. How do I know, Timothy? Because the Lord saved me, Timothy. And that's exactly what I was before that day on the road to Damascus, as we read it tonight. I was that ungodly sinner. I was that self-righteous person who knew the law inside out and upside down, and I thought myself to be right with God, when in fact I was a guilty, hell-deserving sinner. Dear loved one, those whom Christ came to save are those who recognize themselves to be sinful and sinners in the sight of a holy God. And that applies to the churchy person, just like Nicodemus was, who might be steeped in religion, but yet, as yet, he had not known the experience of the new birth. The Lord himself was to define it one day when he was accused by the Pharisees of eating and drinking with publicans and sinners. He said in Mark chapter two, seventeen, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I wonder, my friend, have you yet got to that place where you confess that you are that sinner? by birth, by nature, and by practice. That is the case. And the good news of the gospel is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and He can save all who come unto Him by faith. For you see, that's the plan of God as it is revealed here in my text tonight. That was the plan from eternity past that Christ should come. That was the plan from that day in Bethlehem when the Christ child was born. That was His plan, even to lay down His life on that cross. Dear guilty soul tonight, I wonder will you look away by faith to Him who is God's Son? Will you by faith rest upon the finished work that Christ came to do unfinished, for He cried it on the cross, finished? I wonder will you come tonight and be saved? No, by experience, that work personally, for a sinner like you. There's, no, there's another we thought here, and with this we'll, cl- we'll conclude. There's the witness. The apostle has spoken, and not something of his own making or imagination. Here's not a story which is some figment of some emotionalism. That can be detected by the words that Paul squeezes into this one text of Scripture. You see how he commences it? He says, this is a faithful saying. The greatest drawback about many wonderful stories is that they're not true. You get that especially this time of the year. But here is the truest story. Here's the truest saying. Here's something which is faithful. Timothy, you can tell it again and again and again, for it is true. And we know it is true for both Paul and Timothy had experienced for themselves God's wonderful salvation. They had known the power of God. They had known the reason why Christ left heaven to come down to this earth for it was to save sinners like them. And it has been true of every believer since that very time. I wonder dear young person, can you ascribe your amen to this? Yeah, I know that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners because He has saved me. That's forgetting about who's beside you and who's in front of you. That's just getting you and you alone into that text of Scripture. I say the same to all. I know that Christ Jesus came into this world. I know this is a faithful saying because He has saved me. He's keeping me. He's gone to heaven to prepare a place for me. This is a faithful and true saying. You know, it's interesting to note there's only five times that that saying is used in these epistles. Let me show you them. Just five times over the same word is found. It's found in reference to the work of an elder. Look across at chapter 3, verse 1. This is a true saying. We are looking at that a few weeks ago. So there's one there. It's found in relation to the sufferings that this world and this life will throw up. You look at chapter 4 of First Timothy, chapter, and verse 9. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. So it's true there in relation to the sufferings. It's true in relation to justification of life. Titus chapter 3. Again, a little Pauline epistle, verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. And it's found in relation to life's secret as you find it in 2 Timothy 2.11. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And the fifth one is our text. It's found in connection with life's salvation. This is a faithful saying. But notice also, this witness is true and it's worthy of all acceptation. It's a saying which affects every soul. And therefore, it is worthy of being accepted by every person. Christ Jesus came into the world to save of sinners. has been accepted by the great, by the wise, by the good in different countries and ages of history. Some of the greatest, some of the wisest men that ever lived have received and accepted this, uh, this saying to the salvation of their souls. Don't know why you ever heard of the man that discovered chloroform. You know when you go into the swimming pool and you have a strong smell off the water? Chloroform. Kills all the bugs. Sir James Simpson was a man who discovered chlorophyll and he discovered many other things in the science world. And coming near the end of his life, near death, someone asked him, Sir, what's the greatest thing that you have ever discovered? Do you know what his answer was. He said the greatest discovery I ever made was that I was a lost guilty sinner, and that Christ Jesus, the Savior of sinners, is my Savior. Great men knew the truth of this verse. They have believed its truth and they have realized its power. You see, here's something that you too ought to receive. I wonder, will you receive and accept such a statement this very hour, this very night? Notice it's not just an acceptance of it, but it's worthy of all acceptation. Every bit of it is worthy to be accepted. That's something you can't say about many things that you hear. Could it be that I'm preaching to one tonight and you're given to listen and to accept eagerly the news that is spread every day? maybe some scandal maybe some trifling matter or the facts of life of somebody else maybe you wouldn't miss that show that's on the radio every morning you wouldn't miss such news you're eager to take it in you're eager to hear it and to take in every bit of it and yet You seem to have little interest or concern about your soul, the things of God. Here, my friend, is something which is of the utmost importance for you, not merely for your ear to hear, but for your heart to receive. I wonder this evening, will you accept the message of saving grace? Not enough to hear it, there must be an embracing of it by faith. A laying hold upon the one of whom this text of Scripture speaks about. For Paul could say, this is a faithful saying. It's worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And in his estimation, he said, of whom I am chief. If he could save whom he believed to be the worst, he can save you. I wonder why you come tonight. As we bring our meeting to a conclusion. And we have to say we've enjoyed the young people taking part. And here's a message to a young man As he went forth in his ministry to preach the same Christ. It's the truest story. Will you accept it? May God help you to do so. I trust the Lord will bless his word to your heart even tonight.